Biz Women Rock, episode 97. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I have the pleasure of bringing you great stories from business women all over the world so that you can learn from their journeys and use it in yours. I am super stoked to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Cindy Moses, and she's the owner of a company called Total Pharmacy Supply. Now, Total Pharmacy Supply acts as a distributor between pharmacies who need everything except for the drugs. So this is all of your just pieces of supplies and um, things that help with the drug distribution (laughs) and the manufacturers who actually make those products. It's a really unique niche. Uh, Interestingly enough, she had zero experience with that particular industry before she got this business. Um, She's got a great story, which includes a battle with cancer that just was very, very moving and has affected her business and her life tremendously. She and her husband took over this business in 1989 and they have grown it to a $10 million company. She is wonderfully fascinating and has a lot of great information to share about how she's built up her business, how she's created culture, and how she's been a leader amongst her team of 32 people. You're gonna love this one, so let's get rolling. Cindy, what's going on? Thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to visit with you. I'm so excited to have you here today because you have had such a really interesting experience within the pharmacy industry um, and building it up for all these years, but um, that's not where you started. So can you give us a little bit of a background as to where your professional life really started? Um, Yeah, actually, my initial career was in retail. I was a buyer for a department store chain um, after I graduated from college. So that was my um, initial career path, if you will, Um, and great place to learn. Retail is a very difficult business, Um, so I learned a lot. But after eight years, I was ready to get out. Um, That was when I really decided I wanted to work for myself, however. Um, I wanted the freedom to create what I wanted to create and do things my way. Um, So even prior to my counseling career, I um, just started a small business on my own just to see if I could do it. Um, It didn't require a lot of capital up front. So it was just kind of a dry run to see if I could start it and figure out all the rules and regulations. Um, What was that that business? It was a residential cleaning service. So you kind of like jumped off in, into doing that. What kind of stuff like, like was that kind of a, a scary moment for you? Or like how did you really get yourself set and ready, especially if you were looking at, at it as an experiment? Like what kind of stuff did you have to get ready in order to make sure that, you know, making that jump into a business of your own was actually going to fly? I guess I've always been, I don't know pretty independent and adventuresome. Um, So doing my own thing wasn't particularly scary in and of itself. I chose a cleaning service. My sister-in-law had had bought a cleaning franchise here in Arlington. 
Um, so I looked to see what she did and the business potential that was there. Um, but certainly was, and franchises are great ways to start. I don't mean to be negative towards them, but I just figured modeling after hers, I could do it on my own without, you know, paying the upfront money to the franchise nor the ongoing royalties. So, um, that's really where the idea and the basic structure came from. And then I'm pretty good at planning and organizing. So I had the whole thing laid out before I even opened the doors and, uh, you know, I mean, there's glitches here and there and you adjust as you go, but actually things went pretty much as planned. How many years did you have that company? I only had it three years. Um, when we made the decision to leave Colorado in 88, um, I sold it. So I had it from 85 to 88. What were some of the like major lessons that you learned as your first kind of go at business? I mean, you're saying that you were really, really organized, which really helped on the front end. But what kind of what kind of things did you experience once you actually got into the throes of your business that probably took you by surprise? Well, I think the issue was and to this day remains um, managing people, um, finding and keeping good help, because certainly none of us can do any of this on our own, um, and creating a culture and a mindset that attracts like-minded people and then being able to hang on to them. Um, that, to me, has always been a difficult process, um, but in, in all my business ventures, I've always had very dedicated staff as well, so I've been blessed with um, a lot of long-term support, but you, you still have turnover and managing that turnover um, has still proves to be more difficult than, um, than I would have expected. What did you do and what have you done in all of these years to, that has worked well for you that has helped build really great cultures okay. in your companies? Okay. Initially, um, I have to tell you, honestly, I don't know that creating the kind of culture that I wanted was um, an intentional or a forethought thing, but I think we all bring who we are into what we do, and I care about the people that I'm involved with and that I interact with, um, care about my customers, I care about my employees. And so that was the mindset that I went into business with is that, you know, if I treat others how I would like to be treated, then we can develop a strong and long-lasting partnership. Doesn't always work, but that's always the approach that I've taken. And then I was fortunate enough to have a young lady that joined me and became my manager. Um, and she had the same mindset that we're here, of course, to take care of the customers, but also to take care of our employees. So we all, I've always done what I can. And sometimes it's not a lot, um, you know, when you're operating on a shoestring budget, um, but to try to create a family within the company, um, so that's something that just happened at first, and it's in retrospect that I can look back and say, well, indeed, I, I, I created a culture, and it was, was a culture that worked, um, but it wasn't a conscious effort initially. So at some point, you ended up you know, stepping away from the, the cleaning service, moving to Texas, and then um, what happened from there? 
I'd already struck out on my own, so I had absolutely no intentions of going back to work for anybody else. <laughs> um, my husband had, was also working for somebody else at the time, and my stepping out on my own in 85 was kind of prepare us to perhaps eventually do it together. And so that's what we did when we moved here to Texas in 88. Um, it was with the intention of starting our own company together. Um, he was a little bit more reluctant and more uncertain than I was. But um, having done it once, I moved full steam ahead. Um, we arrived in Texas in December of 88. And on February 1st of 89, uh, less than two months after we got here, Total Pharmacy Supply opened its doors. So thus far in your history, there's nothing that alludes to any sort of industry expertise in pharmacy. So how did you come up with this idea of Total Pharmacy Supply, and how did it really manifest into actually being a company? Um, You know, it was just a stroke of luck, quite frankly. The stars and the moon aligned. Um, My husband and I both had retail backgrounds, so we knew we didn't want to do retail He had a manufacturing background as well and didn't want manufacturing, so that left distribution. So when we moved here, we started looking at different distribution companies that um, were already up and running, thinking we would buy one as opposed to starting something from scratch because we just didn't have a brilliant idea of what it might be. And it was actually a friend of a friend who knew somebody who was trying to start a similar company, but he, great salesman, but lousy businessman, no capital, and he was just floundering. So this friend was retired, and he said, you know, I'd buy his business myself, but at this stage of my life, I don't want to do it, but you might want to talk to him. So he arranged a meeting. Um, We talked with this gentleman. He was a delightful person, but a complete unorganized disaster. Um, I took his box home with me, and I thought, you know, this is a mistake taking this home. But I did sort of <laughs> through it. Um, his business indeed was in a shambles, but I could see a lot of potential as, as I looked through all the paperwork. So what we ended up doing, we didn't buy the business from him because I was concerned about liabilities. But I... Um, I took on his billing and his accounts receivable and got him cleaned up personally. And then we just bought some of his inventory and started fresh on our own. And then both he and the gentleman that introduced us to him um, came on as sales reps. Oh, how interesting. That I've never heard that way of actually kind of getting yourself into a business. That's really interesting. And I mean, I'm assuming that you were kind of in clear communication with him the whole time. So he, like he knew, like you were sort of consulting with him and being able to take care of accounts receivable. That's, did you kind of put your intentions out there that you eventually wanted to buy the company or you didn't even know that yet? No, that, that was there from the get go. It's like, you know, this is a mess. I'll clean it up for you, but I'm not paying for it. Um, <laughs> but but if you want to come to work, come on. You, you've got some skill and talent and knowledge that I don't. So, you know, I can manage your mess. You go out and bring us the business, and we got a good team. That's great. How, how did it work once you made the switch into you and your husband being owners and this gentleman now being sales for you? Was there, was there sort of a power switch there? Not at all. Not at all. Both the two gentlemen, you know, 
the friend and, you know, the, the gentleman that tried to start the company. Um, no, they, they were both delightful. They knew they had worked in um, the food and drug chains for years and years. Um, so they had all kinds of contacts. And, you know, salespeople typically don't like administrative stuff. So they were quite content to go sell and go talk to their accounts and go bring us the business and then let my husband and I manage the backside of it. Wow. So, so there, no, there were never any power struggles. Well, that's incredible. And I, I, I love over and over again on this show, I have heard women talk about know your strength and know where you need to find somebody else who's strong in other areas. And that's actually a really great reverse model where you, you know, you knew that you were good at this component and this, you know, these gentlemen knew that they were good at this component and together it really made such a powerful team. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, and that's what allowed us to get into a market that we truly knew nothing about when we started. So this is probably the perfect time for you to actually explain your business model. Can you can you talk about exactly what Total Pharmacy Supply does and how the model actually works as a business? Okay. We are a wholesale distributor of supply items to pharmacies. Our goal is to be the pharmacist's total source for everything that he needs to run his business behind the counter with the exception of the drugs. Okay, so he needs the drug wholesaler to get the pharmaceuticals themselves. He needs us for everything else, for the packaging, for the equipment he uses behind the counter, the anti-fatigue mats he stands on, the labels and the bags that have his name on them, um, promotional items like pens or whatever that he gives away to his customers, um, just all the stuff he needs behind the counter. That's what we're here to supply for them. So you're, I would imagine that your model really is one in that you are making direct relationships with these pharmacists. What is the makeup of your clientele? Are these like Walgreens or are these like your okay. mom and pop pharmacies that are you know, in my backyard? In the early days, we were weighted very heavily towards the food and drug chains because that's where um, our sales reps had connections. So we serviced them both behind the counter as well as we had um, some OTC products, primarily uh, medication compliance aids that we also sold. And that is for the first probably 10 years where the bulk of our business came from. We also serviced independent pharmacies, but that wasn't the primary focus. Um, and then about 10 years ago, the nature of the chain business changed to where they weren't looking at um, distributors such as ourselves that had service reps to send into their stores. Um, they really started running a lot of their product out of their own regional warehouses, which kind of cut us out. Oh. And we've still held on to a fair chunk of that business, but I could see the writing on the wall and I decided, no, we really need to shift focus to the independent pharmacy market and specifically the compounding market. So that is our primary focus today is um, independent specialty pharmacy, including compounding, um, long-term care, 
and I'm currently working on a product line um, to more fully service infusion pharmacies. Okay, so do just a quick definition of what a compound pharmacy is and what an infusion pharmacy is. Okay, a compounding pharmacy is a pharmacy that custom makes a medication for you. So um, hormone replacement therapy is a big um, compounded product where based on um, there's testing they can do to see what your hormonal balance is and then a doctor will write a prescription saying, you know, you need a certain percent of this and a certain percent of that. It goes to the pharmacy. The pharmacy makes that prescription from scratch, especially for you. And what a compounding pharmacy can do that your basic retail pharmacy cannot. Um, if you've got a patient that can't swallow a pill, they can turn what would typically be a tablet medication into a liquid. Or if they have difficulty swallowing, period, they can turn a medication from a solid or a liquid into a lozenge that can be sucked and dissolve in the mouth. And then infusion pharmacy is just an extension of a compounding pharmacy. It's a specialty of a specialty, if you will. Um, infusion pharmacy deals with those types of medications that need to be either injected or infused intravenously. Mm. So, so that deals with your chemo preps, um, your nutritional products, that type of thing. So as a whole, if we were looking 30,000 foot you know, above you, your business model is one as distributor, which means that you guys aren't actually making these products, um, but you really are the middleman between the manufacturer, the, the actual companies making these products, and then getting it out to the client. So um, Correct. what are some unique things that you as a distributing company really have to focus on um, that really makes you successful? Um, one of the problems with being a distributor, or you phrased it very well when you said a middleman, is um, if a customer does any kind of volume, they can always go direct to the manufacturer. And that happens a lot in this industry. So a lot of times I compete with my manufacturers, um, which isn't a whole lot of fun. No. But one thing... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's kind of tough. But one thing we've done a really, really good job of is nurturing relationships with our manufacturers and our vendors um, and turning them into our suppliers for the smaller accounts. So I, I'm at a point now I can buy in large enough quantities, bring it in here, repackage it in smaller quantities for the smaller accounts, I'm still going to lose some of the big business because they'll go direct to my manufacturers, but I've proven to be a viable customer for the manufacturers because I can effectively deliver a lot of small accounts that they couldn't, it would otherwise be very difficult for them to maintain. Right. Now, you have so, two pockets of people, uh, what I would consider your customers that you're really taking care of. One is obviously the pharmacy. Um, and two is that your actual manufacturers. So, you know, do you, how do you structure your company or your team in that who's taking care of who and how, how do those relationships balance? Um, 
thankfully, we are to a point now where I, I can really kind of get my people into specialized functions. You know, as a small company, historically, we've all worn a lot of different hats, and that makes it difficult. Um, but I've got a strong customer service team. Their focus is on the customer. We're developing an inside sales force. Um, whose focus will also be on the customer. But then I've got a whole team for inventory control that works with the vendor. And then it's up to my different departments internally to interact um, to make sure everybody's needs are getting met. That if our vendors got new products, we're taking a look at them, presenting it to sales and marketing, um, testing it with the customer, to see um, if it's a viable product, and conversely, my customer service and sales team give feedback back to purchasing to say, you know, I'm getting a request for this. What can you find to fulfill this need? So it's a lot of internal dialogue and coordination. How are you guys making sure that that your customer is actually purchasing from your book of products versus somebody else who's walking in the door who's also repping for some of some of, of the other manufacturers? The driving force behind this company for the past 20 years has been our website. We were the very first in the industry to have an online presence. And we maintained that for years before our vendors even got online. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So that has really been the primary driving force, primary marketing tool. Certainly there are other things we do, but that's, that's really the backbone of our efforts and where we put a vast majority of our resources. Um, and to this day, um, Emily, you've met Emily. She does an unbelievable job um, with SEO and search engine optimization, um, getting us out there, getting us to pull up when anybody puts in anything related to what we do. Um, and we constantly work and rework our website to keep it fresh, updated, um, easy to access. Um, so that's above and beyond all that has proven to be our message best marketing strategy, and we continue to maintain it to this day. That's great. How much of your business is really done online versus offline? Right now, um, amazingly, it's not as large as a percent as I would like. Actually, buying online is only about 35%. But people are using um, it as a tool, basically, to like as a catalog, right? Correct, yes. And, and that's how they're finding us. We put on approximately 100 to 150 new customers every month. Wow. And the majority of those customers come come from our online site. Um, so they might not necessarily place orders online, but that's how they find out about us, find our products, and then a lot of times they'll call in. Now, you guys have, you and your husband have had this company since 1989, you have grown it. As I said before, you guys are now, you know, you have 32 people part of your team. You have a $10 million company. You guys have definitely grown. What kind of things are you and your husband internally doing on a regular basis to, to really strategize for the future growth of your company? Like, what does that entail for you? Um, we definitely have a vision for the future in terms of I, I, I've learned the most critical thing is to stay true to who we are 
there's lots of things. You know, my husband and I are both pretty entrepreneurial. Him in particular, he looks for these opportunities to jump on that aren't necessarily pharmacy related. Um, but that can really divert energy and resources. Um, so one thing we've learned is to stay true to who we are, stay dedicated to our mission and vision, um, keep focused on pharmacy, and we've got so much development to do going forward to last us an eternity. Um, and then the key thing that he and I need to do is groom people to, you know, with the skills and talents we need to keep the development up because as we get bigger, you know, it becomes more and more difficult for either one of us to keep a pulse on everything. Right. Um, right. So yeah, that, that's our most critical function is, you know, hiring and training and grooming and supporting um, the next generation that's going to run this company. Cindy, I'm really interested in, um, how you and your husband work together. You know, you mentioned in the beginning that (laughs) I knew that that would get a laugh out of you. Um, You mentioned in the beginning how, you know, that you had had an entrepreneurial past. And so it was a very, you know, it was kind of a no brainer for you to now be part of a new business as well. But your husband was really coming from kind of a corporate background, getting into entrepreneurialism. Did that have an effect on how you two worked together in the beginning? Um. Yeah, actually, I threw pencils down the hall at him in the beginning. <laughs> That's mild. Are you kidding me? Just kidding. <laughs> right, yeah, so there, was a, there was a little bit of a, you know, struggling back and forth. What was that like? Yeah, 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 to just, you know, let me do my thing and him do his thing and find a happy meeting ground. That 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 was historically quite difficult for us to establish. Um and ironically, it took a long, long time to get there. But once we got there, that's when, well, okay, we got there when we hit that $4 million mark. And once we got there, you can see where the business went afterwards. Wow. So um, we were actually quite toxic to the company for a long period of time because we couldn't get on the same page. Yeah, what kind of things did you do? Like once you... Like, what was it that kind of made that switch for you? And what, I guess what's important is what sort of habits did you, or norms did you establish to really get on the same page? Um, we just really had to have a line of demarcation that we both respected that this is your part of the company. This is my part of the company. Yes, I will consult with you, but you got to let me make my own decisions here and support it, and I need to do likewise. Um, because if there was a disagreement on how we should allocate resources or what direction we should go, you know, we spent so much time going back and forth um, that we didn't go any place. But once we could agree on a set course and this is what we're going to do, other things are going to come up, but we got to stay focused and we got to support each other. You just, I don't know why it took us so long to get there, but it did. But once we got there, that's when it took off. One of the things I definitely want to talk about is the fact that you were diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, that yeah. completely kind of shifted your business experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, actually, it was 2006 that I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. Um, certainly, it was a scary time for all of us, and um, I don't know why I was surprised, but I, I was. I very vividly remember taking my management team out to lunch and making the announcement to them and seeing the shock on their faces. Um, but, again, I... I trust my team explicitly. I knew they would be able to manage things. Um, the company has forever been structured to where it can roll on quite nicely with or without my presence. Um, so that was comforting to know that I didn't worry, have to worry about my company, that I could take the time out that I needed to focus on myself and on getting healthy again um, without the stress of worrying about, you know, my company going under. Um, that was never, ever a concern for me. So very grateful to um, my management team and the rest of the staff that supported me through my illness. Getting diagnosed with breast cancer has to play with your attitude and your emotions, I mean, it obviously really affects every single piece of your life. Kind of what was your approach? What was your reaction? How did you move forward with things? Okay. Well, I am nothing if not stubborn. Um, (laughs) From the get-go, it was that, I mean, yes, this is going to alter my life in that it will, and this is a good thing, help me put things in perspective, help me realize what's important and what the best use of, of the limited time I have is. Um, but, you know, I'm going to beat it. I knew that from the get-go. Um, I sought and received very aggressive treatment, um, which has, knock on wood, thus far worked. Um, and while I try to do what I can to maintain my own personal health. Um, I can't say it's a thing of the past. No, it, it, it's with me on a daily basis, but um, it's not something that I worry or obsess about. It just makes me value life and the things I do that much more. It also um, encourages me to continue developing this company in a way that I can go out and do the things I want to do. I went and stood on the North Face base camp of Mount Everest a year ago in September. Um, I went trekking on a glacier in Alaska last month in June. Um, So I'm not going to wait to do all those bucket list things um, until I'm getting older. That's the problem. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm not going to wait until I'm older. No, I am old. I need to start doing them. Um, um, So, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's just, you got to put things in perspective and, you know, there was a time I devoted a lot of time and energy to my company and I still do, but it's not all consuming like it had been in the past. And I think to everything, there is a season. And so, yes, there's a time to work and focus hard on your business or, you know, your career growth and development. But then, you know, there's also a time to live. How would you say that you have evolved as a businesswoman throughout all of these different businesses and all of these ups and downs? I have learned to let go. Um... In the early days, I was quite controlling. 
Um, and that fostered, you know, I'm talking out of my both sides of my mouth here when I say <laughs> I encourage autonomy, but yet I, I indeed I, I, I was controlling and I wanted things done a certain way and blah, blah, blah. Um, I've learned to let go and let people do their thing, give them their space, give them their freedom. Um, that was a process that took a long time. Um, and then having breast cancer, that just reinforced that that is a good um, thing to continue to pursue, um, trusting those around me and, and knowing, you know, if I've done well, they will do well, and uh, it'll come back around for all of us. Cindy, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for contacting me. It was a lot of fun visiting with you. bizwomenrock.com forward slash 97 is where you'll find all the show notes for today's conversation with Cindy, who is wonderful and very giving with her story. Thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.